0: the first official YA book was? The one written specifically for teenage readers featuring teen protagonists? If your answer is The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, you're close, but you'd be wrong. It's a different title published decades prior and one that is still in print today. Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. I'm Kelly Jensen, and this is our short-form podcast running on weeks opposite the full show. I'm mixing it up a bit this week, and rather than sharing book recommendations or having a book club discussion with an author, I wanted to try out offering a shortened deep dive into a topic that has fascinated me for a while. And if this is something that is appealing to you as a listener and a YA lover, do let me know and I'll continue to think of ways to weave these sorts of stories into the extra credit mix. So, before diving into the show, I want to send a thank you to today's sponsor, TBR Bookwrite Subscription Service, offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life for making the show possible. Want great new YA books to read but are overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for, then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. The year is 1942. In America, teenagers aren't yet considered a whole separate demographic. Sure, they're young people, but the idea of their power as a group of consumers hadn't yet been tapped. That would come after the war. While many writers featured adolescents in their books at the time, as well as prior to that time, crafting work specifically for teenage writers had yet to come into vogue. Paul Zendahl and Essie Hinton would come to define early YA books in the 60s, but it was Maureen Daly's 17th Summer which most commonly earns the distinction as the first book for and about teenagers. Maureen Daly was born in Ireland and moved to the U.S. in the 1920s. She and her family settled in the mid-sized town of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and Maureen attended St. Mary's Springs. It was one of her teachers, Sister Rosita Handabode, who encouraged her to write and helped her lead a fascinating career which started at a remarkably young age. Seventeenth Summer is the story of Angie Morrow, a 17-year-old who just graduated from a private all-girls prep school in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. That summer, she catches a glimpse of Jake Duluth, who graduated from a local public school. Ultimately, it's a story about middle-class teenagers falling in love during the summer when all things are setting up to change. Angie's preparing to go to college in the fall, whereas Jack is planning to go work the family business. While the book is ultimately a love story between two teens on the brink of adulthood, it's also a keen story and slice of life of what middle-class white teens in the pre-war era had. Jack's family owned a successful bakery, while Angie's mom is a strict parent, often left to be the only parent while her husband, Angie's father, travels for his job in sales. Here's a short excerpt that sort of exemplifies the class differences and sensibilities. Even though Jack and Angie are both middle class, there is definitely a distinction in the story. And note that throughout the book to this point, Angie's been defending Jack's status, but it's clear here in this excerpt that a difference in their upbringing is there, and she's starting to see it. Quote, In our house, where we have never been allowed to eat untidily, even when we sat in high chairs... It all seemed so suddenly and sickeningly clear. I could just see his father in shirt sleeves, piling food onto his knife and never using napkins except where there was company. And probably they brought the coffee pot right in and set it on the table. My whole mind filled with a growing disdain and loathing. His family probably didn't even own a butter knife. No girl has to stand for that. Never. If a boy gets red in the face sputters salad dressing on the tablecloth and hasn't even read a single book to talk about when you ask him over for dinner you don't have to be nice to him even if he has kissed you and said to you things that no one has ever said before end quote jack and angie have their first date together at a bar which is not unusual in Wisconsin, and the book is peppered throughout with scenes where they're either drinking or smoking. Lorraine, who is Angie's sister, stars in a thread throughout the book about the challenges of coming back home for the summer after being away in college, and it offers a peek into what Angie and Jack might be in for should their relationship last after the summer concludes. This isn't a romance with the happily ever after. We see in the end that Angie chooses one path while Jack is forced into a different one. And though the emotional notes and dated references and language situate the book in its time, again, this is 1942, there is a sense of timelessness to the story as well. Questions such as what happens when you fall in love during your teens, what happens when love is doomed from the start, And what happens when your family meddles in these affairs? Do you pursue romance? Or do you take into consideration what it is your family is saying? These are things that we still see in modern YA today. Seventeenth Summer has, believe it or not, been in print since its first publication. In some of the publicity for the book, it's called a refreshing alternate to, quote, modern love stories, which is really interesting to unpack, especially if, quote, modern in publicity refers to, say, sex-positive titles or titles featuring characters of color, queer characters, or anyone living at the intersection of various underrepresented groups. Many contemporary reviewers of the book note that it's long and very little actually happens. There's surprisingly little kissing or hand-holding, and there's far more looking off into the distance together. Many also note that Jack and Angie never really talk to each other, despite how much there is for the two of them to discuss when they're in each other's company. Other modern critics disagree Some find the book to be subtle in the way it portrays love and romance, with this softly simmering sexuality that becomes more apparent the closer one reads the text. Over the course of eight decades, Daly's book has remained in print, re-released with a new wave of publicity in 2010. An audiobook performed by the award-winning performer Julia Whelan came out the following year, introducing a whole new audience to the classic. 17th Summer has sold more than a million copies. Though it was initially released as an adult book, remember that the category of teen or young adult hadn't been developed yet. It was, without a question, for that audience, and in subsequent decades, found its way there through those publicity channels. Seventeenth Summer was reviewed in the New York Times, noting the success of the novel and attributing it, in part, to Daly's closeness to the characters. Here's a quote from that review. By a kind of miracle... And perhaps because she is so close to an experience not easy to recapture, Miss Daly has made an utterly enchanting book out of this very fragile little story, one which rings true and sweet and fresh and sound, quote. Many reviewers at the time praised this book even though it was held to an adult novel's standards due to there not being an actual young adult category to which it could be compared. Of the book, Daly said, quote, It was a sheer outburst of creative yearning and emotional hype. I loved that town and several of the young men in it, and I wanted to express myself and my feelings at the time. End quote. Seventeenth Summer was Daly's first novel, but it wasn't her first brush with publishing or writing. When she was 15, her short story, also titled Fifteen, was published by Scholastic Magazine. It earned a third-place distinction in their annual contests, and at age 16, Daly's short story, also titled 16, earned a first place finish in that same contest, and it was included in O. Henry's Best Short Stories of the Year. Daly wrote 17 Summer in her parents' basement the year after, but it wouldn't be until she was in college that the book itself would see publication. It was once again in part due to a contest, this time, in addition to the prize money of a thousand dollars, her book would be published by Dodd Mead. Despite her success, Daly didn't continue publishing until much later. She pursued a career in newspapers and magazines while working at the Chicago Tribune, and there she developed and wrote a popular advice column for teenagers called On the Salad Side. It was so popular, it ran three times a week and became syndicated across the country to over 34 newspapers. Her sister took up the column in later years. Maureen Daly wrote under the name, quote, Chi-Chi Daly, answering questions like how to avoid necking and whether or not to drink on a date. A Time magazine article quoted her salary for her career at this time to $22,000, which translates to roughly $250,000 in today's currency. Daly also reviewed books, and many of those reviews are searchable in newspaper databases. When her husband died, though, he himself was a mystery writer, Daly picked up writing books again and published more titles for teens and adults in her later years. Fun anecdote worth sharing here, Daly met her husband in what could only be described as a storybook scenario. He bought a copy of 17th Summer at Marshall Fields, where she happened to be signing, and he had to return to the store to buy another copy when he lost his original in the cab. Maureen Daly died in 2006 at the age of 85. Film rights to the book 17 summary were sold, but no film was made. Instead, her 1964 book titled The Ginger Horse was made into a film. Her work opened the door to similarly themed books during the era, including the books Practically 17 by Rosamond Dujarin in 1949. Leonorta, Mattingly Weber's Beanie Malone, and Fifteen by Beverly Cleary, published in 1956. It's incredible to think about the history of a book and how it not only spurred an entire category of books, but it really brought to focus the importance of adolescence at a distinct time period, rather as a distinct time period in a person's life. The book's pre-war setting, too, is tremendous in what it offers for this demographic of teens, unaware that everything they once thought they knew would be completely upended in more that their demographic would take on significantly more social power and cultural power just a decade later. You can trace the history of this book and the history of marketing books for teens, and specifically teen girls, through the cover evolution of 17th Summer as well. The 2010 edition mirrors the aesthetics of the era, with two pairs of bodiless and faceless legs dangling off a dock into a lake, where the 1985 cover has a very teen television show feel to it. The 1970s edition is reminiscent of Gustav Klimt's The Kiss, Jack and Angie, in 70s-style clothes. As for the original cover, it very much is of the, quote, trying to look like an adult novel without trying to look like an adult novel, end quote, variety. That's my quote. Should you pick up Seventeen Summer if you haven't? Maybe. Maybe not. I personally haven't, primarily because I think the story behind the story is likely more appealing to me than the book itself. But readers who want to dig into this slice of history, who want to see where and how YA came to be, as well as how the category has remained true to its roots, even with tremendous growth and far more inclusivity, perhaps it's time. How many of the YA books we love follow the contours of first falling in love, navigating familial relationships, and understanding one's class status? More, how many utilize that first post high school, pre college setting to represent standing on that tentative precipice of adulthood? Luckily, it remains in print and in audiobook format, making accessing Angie and Jack's Summer Before College love story possible. Big thank you to today's sponsor, Rights TBR, for making this episode f- possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram at HeyKellyJensen and let me know what you're thinking about the show. As always, if you're a fan, drop a short review on the podcatcher of your choice so other YA fans can find the show. If you'd like to learn more about anything on this episode, I've dropped some additional reading into the show notes on site. Thank you to Jen Zink, our audio editor, for making Hey YA sound great. And we'll see you again next week for the main podcast. Until then, happy reading.